know what Eric's reported is also like what certainly what I have heard. When someone said 2002 bucks, like the chills that went through my body. It's like, hey guys, maybe if you could just be like average from three point range. The laundering of all the credit to Chris drives me a little bit nuts. People who listen to this podcast, who listen to our podcast, all those people will never forget those moments. I really do want to love this team. It's just, I wanted to start out 10 and one. All the kind of chess pieces they put out on the on the board, I think are interesting. If I go to the game in Charlotte and the team embarrasses themselves in the game in Charlotte, I'm mad and I guess that's just never going to stop. I wanted to bring PJ back. Then you have the salary slot. He gets paid. He gets to go to Miami. He can drive with his Ferraris with the top down. So it's the 4th of February, and our guest, we're going to get right into it. The founder, the inventor, the creator of Brew Hoop, uh, host of Locked On Bucks, world champion Frank Madden is in the building. And, and, and of course, <laughs> I get giddy just saying it still. World champion Frank Madden is with us. Um, he didn't quite make the parade, uh, as we talked about um, a year ago, but man, how are you? It's funny. Um, so, I mean, for, for those listening, right before we went, we, we started, we were trying to figure out exactly when we last podcasted. And I knew it was pre-championship, but I, I didn't realize I think it was pre-Giannis extension. It was, you know, like November, I think, of 2020. So it was pre of last season even beginning. And it's just, I don't know, it, Ben, it's just kind of fun, funny to think about how much our you know, sports fan lives have changed in in that relatively short, short amount of time. I mean, just just a little more than a year, and it it's just I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I I, can't, I do these sorts of pods occasionally where you know I, I I do kind of these guest appearances on places that either I've never been on or it's been a while. And um, you know, this whole year, I mean, I was on the rights to Ricky Sanchez pod, and you know, it's just it's just kind of funny now, like getting to like do the the you know the 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 post championship tour and, you know, getting to relive that here, um, which I'm, I'm going to guess um, it's a late Friday night for, for those listening. I mean, you know, like let's, let's, let's enjoy our late Friday night. I yep. imagine we'll do, you know, as much as we can talk about, you know, Brooke Lopez injuries and all that other stuff, that's maybe less fun. Um, it's still just fun for me to just, you know, sit back and think about world champion Milwaukee bucks, you know, just that that phrase is something that we, <laughs> We, we got to witness not just you know this this year like right literally the season after we we last talked but um but at all is uh i don't know it still just kind of trips me out and i went back and rewatched um uh the the last five minutes or so of the the bucks all access from game six yeah and um you know the the setup of it is is they go back to Giannis's extension signing and he says, and they're like clapping for Giannis, and he's kind of like joking. He's about to sign, you know, the two hundred fifty million whatever extension. He says, "I'm not gonna say." People are like speech, speech. And he's like, "I'm not gonna say anything." He's like, "Actually, let me say something." And then this piano <laughs> kicks in, and this whole like montage of the run and voiceovers from the players and Drew saying, "I'm a buck for life" and all that stuff. And I, I still remember the first place I, I was. I, I was in my little my my childhood bedroom in I think late. July of last year when I first saw that and you know I started crying like when that that whole montage came through and yeah. when you put together 
your video and you know you had the picture that I posted of like my dad and I and a number of other people who had the similar experience right where it was like really like that full circle childhood generational fandom type experience kind of you know be punctuated in the best possible way um you know I, I still will have these occasional moments of just like ah like just your emotions sort of overcome you and it and I think the right Siriki guys asked me you know like what is it like? You know, what is it like with your <laughs> basketball team winning a championship? And, uh, you know, I think I just said, like, it's everything I could have hoped for and and more. I mean, it really was just, uh, and, and hopefully everybody else it felt, you know, you and everybody else felt the same way, right? I mean, I, I listened to your pod, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's still kind of indescribable. And I, to be honest, like, it, it, it hasn't, like, worn off. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't know what we're at here, like, six months or whatever since it happened. And, um, you know, we'll see if they don't win a championship again this year, then like, yeah. I don't know, maybe it'll get diluted a little bit. Cause we won't, you know, they won't be the depending champs anymore, but, um, but I don't know. I mean, that's, it really is just like amazing. It's something that just, you know, it can never be taken from you as a fan. And, um, and it's just like, I don't know for me, it's, and I think for a lot of people, it just sort of like completed our journey as fans in a way that, I don't know, just makes everything else easier. And again, not to say that we don't, you know, bicker and fight and argue about stuff, you know, moving forward and we're already doing it this year, various things. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. I just feel like I'm in such a better head. <laughs> not just as a fan, but literally, I mean, it's sad to say this, but like as a person, yes. like, you know, 2021 mm-hmm. was just such an amazing year because of this, even with all the other stuff going on in the world. Well, I feel too. Well, I, I did. There was a thought. I haven't thought about this in a while. I wanted to end that video with the shot of me and my dad and my brother and our two sons, um, my son and my brother's son. And I, I ran out of time and there wasn't a great shot. And it was like, I think there's probably a great shot of us at Brewers Diamonds backs game, you know, but it wasn't, you know, like there's stuff, but it wasn't like it was four out of the five of us were there or whatever. And, you know, it was just because I call myself quitting videos. We'll see how that goes. But it was like, okay, this would be great. And I can finish and we'll do the other thing. And I was like, and I'll have a picture. And then I was just like, no, it's, I didn't want to insinuate myself into it in that way, but very much like that release, that emotional release of all that kind of stuff and and the generational aspect of fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, I'm glad you said that because it's quite beautiful and I don't think about it at all anymore. But yeah, what a, what a year that was. And I'm and well, let me ask you, because personally, so there's two camps with this or there's a couple maybe there's more than two, but there's a couple of different mind states that people can be in. I just think I have to be a day to day person, which means if this team, if I go to the game in Charlotte and the team embarrasses themselves in the game in Charlotte, I'm mad. And I guess that's just never going to stop. And I'd like to be the kind of person where this has changed their life in that very small kind of way. And it has. But. I think I'm just going to complain about the team day by day for as long as I follow this team, you know, and, and you do a day by day, you know, do yeah. a, a, a podcast just about every, every day, every other day. But I'd like to have been, I'd like to be the other kind of person. I think I'm just not, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I always think of it in terms of like, like perpetually balancing kind of the micro versus macro. And, um, you know, I think as fans, I mean, as long as Giannis is on the roster, I think, you kind of have to be greedy and your expectation should be that you compete for a championship every year. And so I think 
you know, again, we can say, well, like it's not worth like getting bent out of shape over random, you know, individual games, things like that. Um, and for me, it's kind of like, I feel like this year, I, I definitely, well, let me say this. I still get frustrated and annoyed with individual games, especially when they play poorly, which obviously we've seen plenty of kind of those frustrating games. Um, but I think in, in previous years, the micro would sort of seep into the macro a lot more. And, yeah. you know, the macro view was a very kind of like, I always sort of, you know, tried to maintain this very sort of like sober, like they're probably not going to win a championship type mindset. Like I, I really struggled to sort of let myself, you know, accept that, um, that reality. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's all, I think just about finding, you know, as fans, it's always just about finding balance, right. For your own like mental health to not take losses too hard or too seriously. Um, and so I think, I think in so, so in some ways, like, you know, hopefully everybody hopefully everybody's a bucks fan like you know when you're feeling like aggravated and it's like how'd you lose that game to the pistons or whatever you know hopefully then at the end you know you, you kind of be like oh you know whatever but then hopefully you can be like all right you know what world champion milwaukee bucks i'm gonna go on with my night go on with my day tomorrow it's not gonna like it's not gonna like <laughs> keep me down or something like that i think that's kind of the like the fundamental thing um is is like the the macro kind of big picture has just been, you know, turned into, it, it, I have so much kind of like residual positivity and I think I'll always maintain, you know, that positivity just because um, we had, you know, it's not just that like we can always say like, well, the Bucks won the championship and Giannis had this amazing game and, you know, he's our guy and blah, blah, but we can always look back on that experience. Right. And, we all kind of processed it. We all experienced it in our own ways. And whether you were there in the game or you at the Deer District or you were at home half a world away, whatever you were doing, um, you know, I think everybody got to experience and that that feeling in their own way. And, we'll, and you'll never forget it, right? Like people who listen to this podcast, who listen to our podcast, all those people will never forget those moments and, you know, what it was like seeing the parade on TV or being there, whatever. And so I think that's really kind of the, the crazy thing is, is, you know, just like having, you know, having those, those feelings. And, and it's kind of funny. It's like, you know, for some, I was just thinking about like, um, you know, like some of these examples of like when it's usually like college, right? These like college titles get vacated or whatever. Right. right? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. like when the Astros, like the cheating thing, it was like, Oh, the Astros are going to have their championship taken away. And it's like, I mean, history happened. Like, so yes. much of what makes these things meaningful is like those moments and you know you could take the astros banner down or you can tell you know whatever college team that like oh no no you didn't actually win that national championship i mean it ha it happened and you know history books may say this or that but um but you can never take away kind of the feeling of of, of the moment right and um and i think that's you know and and again i think what you know like that bucks video um, what your video, um, I, I haven't gone back at some point, maybe I'll, I'll go back and listen to the podcast we did like literally as I was walking around the streets of Milwaukee right after the game. Um, probably the, the worst audio quality we ever did for a podcast and we've had some bad ones. Um, at some point I'll probably listen to that. Maybe I, I like, I like that one. That one was great. I mean, you know, as far as analysis, it, it, it will it will not go down as one of our best, you know, analysis pods. But as far as just capturing the emotion, the feeling, obviously, 
you know, it was, it was very raw and unfiltered. And so that, I'll probably like next off season, re-listen to that just to sort of remind myself what it was like. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's great. Right. I mean, six months on and, and it, it, it still feels like I, something I can tap into and, um, can just bring a smile to my face. Or, you know, if I watch, like I said, some like your video, that Bucks video, I can like tap into, kind of that deeper emotion. And, and again, like sports don't matter, blah, 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 all this other stuff. Um, in those moments, you know, it, it matters. And I think so much of it yeah. gets to, to me, it's about, you know, the communities that, that raised us that, that we kind of got to, to kind of yes. experience it with. Right. And as, you know, crazy as Bucks Twitter can be or whatever else, um, you know, that shared experience, I think still makes it more meaningful and in such a cool way. There were people I think I talked about a couple of these. Uh, Robert was one of them, but there's there were people who were saying we my family got together at the end of the year. My dad doesn't know how to work YouTube, and I played the video for my dad, and he's crying, and then he sees his own face, and we hug. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, that's the best story I've heard all year, you know, and, and, you know, the video is okay or whatever, but I, like you said, it, it was just, it was just so cathartic. And I just wanted, like, I'm not saying my video is the best or anything, but like, I just wanted to take a hack at it. We've been taking hack at Jason Kidd videos or Jabari Parkey videos or like, you know, recaps or different stuff or, or, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's on the team. Let's make a Barack's dubs kind of rip off. Like there were all kind of different versions of stuff that was just a dumb idea in my head. And I just kind of wanted to leave with that. But then once I, you know, once I do something, you kind of never look back, but yeah, right around, um, right around the end of the year, people were just DMing me like crazy. Like, you know, like somebody sent me a picture of him and his dad, like on a patio or something crying. And I'm like, this is just like, it just came right back, you know? And I, yeah. I thought, and so I should I should be more positive here. Here's so maybe this transition a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I've been pretty honest, I think. I mean, we're basically the same age. I, I was basically, you know, like I, I think for a lot of Bucks fans, we, the Bucks were our team. And then, you know, the Bulls are kind of like your Gumar or somebody else or, or whatever other team or the Knicks or whatever. You know, you had to root for a team that was in the playoffs, you know, yeah. <laughs> Growing up or, 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 or Barkley or just kind of whoever had the cool shoe. But you, you needed a team. If you're going to watch the playoffs, you needed to root for somebody else. And so all those years of listening to Simmons or Lowe or whoever else, which goes to the Middleton thing and a lot of other things where you're just like, okay, so who should the Thunder get rid of? Should they keep Ibaka? Should they keep Harton? And you've been thinking about all these other teams and judging them. Okay, so so Jason Terry played great and and and, and Chance, you know, Chandler um, – Tyson Chandler for the Mavs. Okay, which one can they retain? What can they do? And then you say, well, I think this is a good move or this is a bad move. And so now for the Bucks, I have a hard time getting out of big picture mode. I certainly, man, I thought I respected Brooke Lopez, but I clearly just did not appreciate the just the gaping hole he leaves in everything. But big picture wise, like, where are you at? I, I thought, I know I said this and I ended up lying. Like we won the title and I'm like, we have to defend the title because that was the idea. Defend the title, right? Yeah. And now I'm like, all these guys can go except Giannis and we can, you know, and that's just like kind of angry talk. But I wonder where you stand now because there's a question of how old we are. There's a question. There's a question of how, how far we can go with this core. On the other hand, the other crazy thing that seems to have happened is the super team era is somehow dead 
in in a really kind of weird way, like, I, I, or at least it's, you know, LeBron's old and and the Nets are in shambles, and it just seems like maybe we can win with a pretty good team again. So I've said a lot, but like, what what's your kind of thinking going into the trade deadline with all of this? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you mentioned Brooke, and I'm sure probably a lot of people listening will have by this time read um, Eric Name's piece on on Brooke, and you know, kind of just like the impact he has on really on both ends. Right. Because I mean, defense is, is the obvious place. Um, but offensively as well. I mean, just the fact that you don't have Bobby Portis being that bench spark plug that he has to start and, you know, um, it's worked pretty well. You know, it was interesting. Giannis and Bobby together are like plus 12 this year. Giannis by himself is like plus three or something like that. Like it's been interesting. Like, you know, even though the starting lineup actually doesn't have great numbers together, like Bobby Giannis has actually worked really well. Um, but the problem is you can't play that, you know, <laughs> like 40, right. 40 minutes a game, um, and, and not having Brooke and, or, or not having anybody else, right. Um, to, to kind of fill that gap. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sort of at this point where, you know, and I was, I was messaging with Eric the other day and some other folks and, you know, and, and the question I asked was just like, you know, are, are the, I mean, how are, are the Bucks going to really know enough about where Brooke is by the trade trade deadline to really like make an informed decision or or be uh, able no, to? No, I don't think so. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of I think the consensus is you know again, Eric reported it again today. Like team sources still say they expect Brooke back in the regular season, but I mean they expected Brooke back in the calendar year 2021. They they didn't think he was going to need surgery either, and backs are weird and. Here we are. So, um, okay. So, don't betray Eric on this specific thing. Is there a time ever in the extent of your relationship where Eric says they're saying this, but it's actually this? But dude, don't say anything. Because I have to think somebody like I don't know when they turned into, you know, the '80s Russians with the information leaks. But I just like what's going on. Like, well, they honestly. So, I mean, I'll say this. Like, you know, like. I, I I am not like you know sitting in the war room of, of what of the Bucks decision making or anything like that. Um, I mean I definitely have avenues for hearing things. It's not like like I, I don't hear things like um, oh this trade is going to happen tomorrow. Like watch out. Like just don't say anything. But watch out. Yeah. Like I don't get that kind of information. I get I definitely get information. Let let me say this. I get information that I think oftentimes helps me understand why things are happening or why things did happen. And they're sometimes they're typically related to me. Like I'm never like breaking that news. Um, But I would say this, like oftentimes it helps me frame the way I then am telling the stories to, you know, people listening to our podcast or on Twitter, things like that. So it's kind of like a weird type of way that, that some of my like quote unquote, you know, what, what I, what inside sort of, things I hear, like that's sort of how it filters down, I would say. Okay. So, I mean, basically like if, I mean, it's kind of a BS way to say it. It's just like, Oh, well, oh, you have to take everything. You have to, you have to trust everything okay. I say because it may be coming from a place. No, I'm not so, saying so. that like there's, there's not that much to it, but like, I, you know, like, I, and I, sometimes I try and I try to like hint at that. Let, let me just say it. I won't, I won't give an example, but like there's, there's, there was one recent Okay, I was just about to ask. So there's okay, one recent ahead. personnel move, okay. which I have I have alluded to the rationale for it, okay. and you know, like, yeah, let's just leave it at that. But okay. um, but like, 
Brooke, honestly, there was a lot of like uncertainty. I, I, everything I, I got gathered, there was just a lot of uncertainty. But again, nobody was saying like, oh, in a, in a month, like we're going to have to have him get surgery, right? I mean, that, that was, I think, a surprise. Like he didn't react to the treatment. Um, and so I think, you know, what Eric's reported is also like what I think, you know, again, certainly what I have heard. Um, and I don't, I don't think Eric is actually holding anything back on that, on that mm-hmm. front. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, so it's kind of hard because like, if you tell me that Brooke is, is going to be back in the regular season, that's, that's actually what's going to happen. And he's going to be, you know, let's say 90% of Brooke, right? Like, I don't know, he's going to be hundred percent, but he'll mm-hmm. be close to that by the time the playoffs start. Um, then I feel pretty good, you know, um, I, I, I you know, for me so much of, contending is just having the chance, like having the weapons and having, you know, the health so that you can maybe get some of those good breaks and, and you have a chance to do it. And I, I think, I think sometimes, especially when we look back on things like, like narratives form and people act like there was inevitability to the outcomes that we saw. And I'm much more of like a, well, that's how the chips fell, but, you know, if yeah. you rerun, rerun the simulation, like who knows, right? And um, and I think there's certainly a lot to that. You know, if you re if you re, reran the simulation of last season, there's a lot of scenarios where the Bucks don't win. But you can do that with pretty much every year. You know, it's not like yeah. I'm not saying like the Bucks are some like super lucky lucky case. Um, so I, you know, I th- I think coming into the season, like emotionally, I was like, you know, prepared to not repeat because just I think just practically speaking, look how many times teams repeat. And then you add in the, the factor of the lack of rest, the short off season, Drew and Chris having to go to the Olympics, all this other stuff. Um, you know, the deck is always, I think, stacked against the defending champs, both because of like the short off season and some of those things. And also just, I think the motivation, right? Like it's just different. Um, and, and just by virtue of having won, it meant that things had to go your way and, you probably aren't going to get that same degree of, of good luck, good fortune the next time around. Right. So, um, so I think like part of me is just kind of like, Hey, look, like it's so hard to repeat. Like things have to break your way to win one. Things have to continue breaking your way to win two. Um, but I think if they're healthy, I think if Brooke is, you know, back, then I definitely think they're going to have a chance. Um, but that said, I think there's also like a subset of fans who are just like, I'm not worried about the the regular season at all. They're basically where they were last year before they won a championship. So who cares? I'm not I'm not worried at all. And I'm just sort of like, well, uh, I don't so I don't buy though. that. Like like you know like because because you still had to make the PJ move, and then you still needed other than Dante getting hurt. You know you still needed relatively good injury luck. Obviously yeah. Giannis almost dying on the floor in Atlanta was not good injury luck, but. Um, but fortunately he was able to come back and your all your other guys were able to stay healthy. So, um, so I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a little bit, a little bit anxious. And I think part of what's interesting for me this year is like, I don't, I don't really know what they should do at the deadline because, you know, like if you go after a center, are you ch- cashing in Dante and whatever else you might theoretically have for a guy that then doesn't play if Brooke is back, you know, like I, I right, feel like right. you're kind of stuck. Like I don't, I don't think it makes sense to like cash in your chips for a, like a, a true center. Um, 
and and at the same time it's like like what is dante's value really at like part of me is just like just let right. it ride with that right. and then see what kind of comes in terms of the bio market whether it's rollo or i don't know if, if that young gets bought out but like you know if, if maybe you get kind of a or you add like a big wing if 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 brook is back um which again maybe doesn't equate the pj role but someone at least gives you another another option there so so yeah it's like i, I mean i definitely i just i mean i i do not <laughs> envy the Bucks front office and having to figure out kind of the direction here because, you know, the big need, needing a big man, needing size, you don't know if maybe that's just going to walk through the door when, if and when Brooke Lopez gets healthy. And, but if it doesn't, then shit, you know, cause if Brooke, if Brooke isn't back, then, you know, again, like, I mean, if you told me then you'd get Rolo on a buyout, well, maybe I'd I say, guess. okay, then you, then you could, then you could still win a championship. But yeah. even so, I mean, man, what Brooke did for you last year was just really special. So, um, so I'm I'm kind of at peace because of the last <laughs> 12 months. Mm-hmm. But I definitely like you know my my optimism about this season is very much kind of on that knife's edge of Brooke Lopez's health. Let's say. Well, and and healthy or not, I just think in a seven game series, he's such a mountain of a man that it just, especially like if you're going it against kind of a finesse kind of Nets team where it just yeah, you knew it mattered. You knew it mattered. You knew going into the Nets series, it was like, I felt like games one and two, it almost, my recollection could be off on this, but they almost overforced the ball into the post because it was such a, a layup every time, you know, kind of things got going before those got out of hand. But it, I just, if he comes back at 75%, I think there's probably still some advantage to it. But but you said, I mean, you said absolutely the thing. Portis, I mean, it's not exactly like Tim Thomas, but kind of in a way, I mean, it's like this this super sub kind of, the super sub kind of aspect for Portis um, where he can play with even more kind of reckless abandon. It just seems to me like a far better utilization than him. Just, I mean, I, I made all series of joking tweets about how, you know, 20 games in, I was like, man, is, you know, maybe Portis can flirt with being an all-star, but, and obviously we didn't have the wins for that anyway, but it just, I guess my disappointment, let me ask you this. My disappointment throughout the playoffs, throughout many, many years, going back to kid, going back to Prunty, going back to all these kind of things, I just don't, I've never liked the way we execute. And typically Giannis is awesome and saves us or Chris gets really hot. Or, but it seems to be like even, even the good games this year going through the playoffs, I think we kind of tend to execute kind of like an all-star team where one of those guys gets really hot. And in a nice kind of way, everyone else stands back. Like if Chris has it going, everyone gets out of the way. If Drew has it going, then this is a Drew night. And Christopher is Deionis kind of all the time, but I just, it's a weird kind of lack of synergy that I kind of perceive that doesn't really necessarily always show up in the stat sheet. And I just kind of thought with all the improvements, I think the problem is that I kind of tricked myself into thinking that this year was going to be different in some kind of real way. And then we're barely beating the Knicks and there's the Cavs and there's all these kind of losses and and so, like you said, it's 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 accurate. Half of Bucks Twitter seems to now just kind of be saying, "Hey, none of this matters." I'm just a child of the '80s and '90s, and I just think it matters. But I don't know that I'm right, and and, and I don't know in, if he was somehow unfortunate enough to be on a Thibodeau team, or this was the '90s, if Brook Lopez wouldn't be back right now, ruining his the rest of his life. So it's kind of hard, like actually, to even gauge what we're watching, because um, I, you know. I, and, and, and but those are kind of the pillars of my concerns 
are everybody but Giannis, but they're like the main pillars. The Dante stuff, the the end of the back of the bench guys. That's that's to me the way we used to think about the Bucks. Is that well, we got to make some trades, so you know we got to get Josh Smith. We got to make some trades so we can, you know, maybe get the seventh seed, whatever. And 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 I think there's a yearning for a trade. I don't care about the, I don't care about small moves anymore. I'm only really interested in the big moves. By the way, by the way, before you answer that, you did nail this. I did recall this because I tried to bait you into this last time, and you did accurate. I I think you did accurately say. I think this was before Drew, and I was pushing you towards Beal, and I did think you. I think I made you guess, or who you would prefer, and I think you did say Drew Holiday back then. Oh, was that was that even before the holiday? Oh my god! We were talking about it. It it was. It, it was that was like mid November, right? Yeah, it was, was going into the year. But but yeah. the COVID the COVID thing, everything was off. Yeah, yeah. Because I I know that I know the Giannis extension was like mid December, um, and I I think the Drew move must have been like mid November probably. And if we podcasted like an earlier November, yeah, that would might have been even before November 9th, twenty twenty. Man, like yeah, the whole it's, it's universe has, it's, it, it's, it's like crazy to think how just many things happened, um, in, in such a short, short period of time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of, I mean, I, let me say this, the, the, the funny part, and when you talk about like execution, the funny part, um, when I, when I say that, you know, I, I and, and people who listen to our podcast will know, like one of my favorite phrases, which I believe I, I don't, I, I just made, I, I'm, as far as I know, this is a Frank Mann original. I don't know that anybody's actually thought it was smart enough to, you know, repeat it, but I, I my wife is a Rockets fan. <laughs> that, that too. Um, but, uh, uh, but this idea that, that playoff series are just, uh, the playoffs are just a series of small sample sizes. Yeah. And, you know, what I mean by that is always just that, you know, like, a guy can be awesome one series and then garbage the next. And, you know, I mean, again, Bryn Forbes may be the kind of the, the most classic example, yes. right? Like, yes. and you, you kind of need that, you know, every, every playoff run seems to have that like role players who randomly were great in one series and whatever. Right. Um, you know, like Danny green couldn't make a shot against the Bucks in the East finals, literally hadn't make, couldn't make shot. And then, you know, I think he was awesome against the Warriors, if I remember correctly. He almost, um, he would have been finals MVP. If he had one more good game against the Heat, he would have been finals MVP for the Spurs. It was yeah, that, exactly. It was that, that outlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny, but, but like, when I think about the upside for the Bucks, right? I mean, you think about the way the Bucks got in their own way offensively during yeah. a large portion of the playoffs last year. Um, and in particular, just the team-wide epidemic of missed threes, missed open threes. I mean, to be the worst three-point shooting team in the playoffs after during the regular season, you were a good three-point shooting team, right? It's not like this team was constructed around not shooting, threes, not shooting threes, right? Like they've been a team that obviously through the whole butt era has been constructed on Giannis plus shooting more or less, and I mean, every year we've seen them underachieve to an extent from from three point range in the playoffs. But to have, and I mean, I don't know, that, I don't know that this is true off the top of my head, but like it felt like the most kind of consistent underachieving in a single playoff run was the actual time they won a championship. I mean, yeah, that to me is like the one area where I kind of think, hmm, well, maybe that's the thing that could flip for us this year, and that could be like you know especially if if 
Brooke is not back to 100 percent or you know, God forbid you don't have him. Um, you know, I think implicitly this team, when you look at the offseason, you lose PJ, you bring in Grayson Allen. You're obviously bringing back Dante. <laughs> OK, maybe Dante's not like, you know, an offense first guy. Right. Especially right now. Um, but like at least on paper, this is a team that offensively should be better than like the, the version that won a championship. Right. I mean, you know, the, the version of PJ that was out there obviously was not like a threat, you know, in terms of really of scoring good offensive rebounder. Right. And obviously his value defensively. So I, it seemed like implicitly kind of from the offseason, they sort of made a, a, a bit of a decision that like, OK, we're going to lean probably lean more into our offense this coming year. And obviously Brooke being out was not an intentional part of, of that whole experience. And, you know, again, Brooke's offense, I think they've also missed. Um, yes. But that's a piece that, that as I think about the playoffs, you know, um, it's like, hey, guys, maybe if you could just be like average from three point range, that could actually, you know, that gives you a little more margin of error that last year you didn't give yourself because you shot so poorly from three. And again, it's not like opponents were, were lighting it up from three against the Bucks either. Um, but I also thought they defended the three-point line really well. And they actually, I mean, they also played a number of teams. Like, I mean, the Suns, as much as they have some shooters, they they were not a team that shot a ton of threes last year. And I think the Hawks also, similarly, as much as you kind of thought like, oh, they got a bunch of, they didn't shoot tons of threes when you look at just their attempt numbers over the course of the full season. So they actually ran into a number of teams in the playoffs who, who actually didn't really shoot tons of threes. And then, you know, they didn't, thankfully, they didn't shoot great against the Bucks either. So, um so I don't know, but but yeah, I think it, it it is an interesting thing, the Bucks offensively. Um, and I don't know, I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because like they sometimes like you know to start games or come out of timeouts or whatever, where it's like it's very scripted, and you see like you know multiple actions and then it all leads and it and it pays off with a really nice play where it's you know Chris lobbing Giannis for a dunk or you know Drew coming baseline getting a layup whatever it might be. Um, and I don't know, I think I think some of it is just kind of the nature of the NBA, like, you know, the Bucks offense is a lot about sort of spacing around Giannis. And so there just isn't going to be like dynamic movement when so much of your offense is like space and, you know, just be ready for Giannis to kick it out to you when the yeah. defense collapses. And I think sometimes the, the downside of that is it, it just gets stagnant. And it feels like this year, especially of late, you know, I think they, I think they were at seven and eight in, in January it just felt like, especially in those, you know, those dreaded third quarters, you know, even if they started the game shooting well from three, they just sort of like are settling for threes and yeah. you don't have yeah. Brooke, you're smaller, you're not offensive rebounding maybe as much as you like. You don't have the same size to to get easy buckets inside. It just becomes a lot of like, well, you know, like let's put up some threes and settling for shots. And, um, you know, I go back a couple years, I think to the bubble team, like that team to me, Felt, I, 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 I framed it as like, it didn't feel like they valued possessions. Like it felt like in that heat right. series, like they would, they were taking like quick threes, like in fourth quarters when they really needed baskets. And it's just like, that's a shot you take, you know, that's against December. the Pistons. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. On, on a Tuesday yes. in December, like, you, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. like quick three when you need a bucket. So um, I think, I mean, the irony is this team was, you know, one of the questions that people had was like, well, crunch time, like, you know, Giannis isn't the kind of a go-to crunch time guy. And like, if Chris Middleton is the ball in his hands, like that's kind of weird that it's not Giannis. Um, and you know, they weren't like great in, in kind of clutch time last year. And then they go up against the Suns in the finals who are like, you know, 
the most dominant crunch time team in the NBA really last year and this year. You've got two awesome ball handling guards who can go pick and roll and never turn it over. And what happens? The Bucks yeah. win all three crunch time clutch games. They make huge plays offensively and defensively. You're going to make me cry. And they win a championship. <laughs> and right? they win a championship. Yes. So it doesn't I, make any sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately, like, you know, between Drew and Chris, you have two guys that you can put the ball in their hands and pick and rolls, and, you know, they can score or create for others. Um, and especially Drew, I mean, talk about, like, you know, the Bucks not shooting well. I mean, Drew's offense in the playoffs overall, right? I mean, if, if they lose, it's interesting to think about how he would be perceived coming into this season, yep. given his struggles offensively. Um, and so I, I think, and that was like the one thing that made me nervous earlier there when he was missing all those layups. It was like, hmm, like, did he, did he, are those yips carrying over? So for him to kind of have gotten back now to, you know, and, and really him and Chris are like, I mean, they're back pretty much like where they were a year ago in terms of yep. like really good offensive performance, playmaking, all that in the regular season. So it's not like those guys have really dropped off. Um, so that's another piece of it too. It's like, if we get like, you know, if we were to get like four, you know, okay to really good series from Drew Holiday on offense, which again is harder because of all he does on defense. Um, I think that also like is something we didn't get last year that, you know, certainly is is not an unreasonable thing to think. And, and again, hopefully would lead to more fluidity <laughs> than, mm. than we saw from an execution standpoint. I think I figured out the thing with Drew and the layups is you have to think of him like Zach Randolph or Moses Malone or something like this. He's just putting it near the rim. I do think, as someone who played point guard, it is kind of diabolical, the thing that he does, like, where, you know, most point guards or most kind of big point guards, you think of, like, uh, like a Marbury kind of guy built like a tank. But any guy like that, if he's going to impose his will on you, he gets the ball and he starts backing the guy down. Drew does this thing where he goes, dance, dance, dance. Then he, like, pounds, pounds on the the third and fourth move, and the other point guards never seem to see it coming. But then he's just throwing a 50-50 ball at the rim. Like, he does have kind of this one up and under move. I mean, uh, if you think both kind of the game winner against Brooklyn and there was one kind of late in game six against the Hawks, he does have, like, an up and under kind of crazy move. But he's he's not left-handed. I mean, it's like, I I think I saw somewhere where they said – he worked all off season on the left hand or whatever else, but he he's right-handed and he shoots left-handed layups almost seemingly like a lot of the time. And I think you just like, I wouldn't have been like, obviously I would have been mad if he cost us a championship, but we all said drew Bledsoe. I mean, it was like kind of the funny joke to make, you know, through our tears, but, but I, I would have had faith in, I mean, he's better than Bledsoe at, at his peak, although peak Bledsoe was pretty good. I guess I, I just thought we'd be seeing more at this point, and and I can't put it all on Brooke Lopez, but I do think there's. Look, I want to be optimistic. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like I, I, I really do want to love this team. It's just I wanted to start out ten and one, and even I, I think this is insane. But somebody else brought this up. I don't know if this is real GM or is my little somebody. When someone said two thousand and two bucks like the chills that went through my body because still like on some level, we're still kind of losers. And it was just like, Oh no, could this possibly be it? You know? And, 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 and I don't know. There's a lot more basketball left to be played, but there's a part of me. Well, let me ask this other question. Were you a fan of the PJ thing or were you really anti the anti that move? Cause I do feel like that's a, a debate that, that rage just because he's playing so well, I, I just assumed he'd be washed 
And I was like, thank you for your service. Now, bye. And I may have been wrong about that. But like, did, did you, are you feeling like that story is is told or, or like, where were you at on that? I mean, I, I, you know, my view, I am by nature kind of a risk averse person. So my view okay. was you win a championship, just run it back. Like, don't don't give yourself don't put yourself in a position if you don't have to that someone can come back and say you got too cute with it you thought flipping that guy that key piece out and bringing in some other new guy you know that was going to be the the way to 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 stay relevant and i mean so so yeah i mean i i i wanted pj back i think if you ask me like you know i mean i had conversations with friends people who are sort of you know in the orbit of the bucks not not this was uh, this was not someone who works for the organization, but someone who's like keyed into it. And it was kind of like, you know, Bobby didn't play against the Nets, and yeah. the Nets are the team that you're, especially in the off season, you were looking at and saying like, oh, we're gonna have to go through them again. And so the idea that like, you know, even though PJ is way older, um, the idea that you know you let him walk and keep Bobby, I was just really worried about, you know the idea that like, well, wait a minute, you're doubling down on the guy who couldn't play against the team that, you know, you're probably going to have to, you, you probably had the heart, you know, literally the only team that could take you seven games. Um, and that gave you the hardest battle that really worried me. So I was before, I mean, before it happened, I was like, you know, all right, we're probably losing Bobby. Cause you know, they could only offer him you know, 4 million or whatever and change. Um, so I was like, eh, I'm probably missing Bobby, but Hey, at least you can, you can bring back PJ with bird rights and all that. And, yeah, I mean, what does he have left? Who knows, right? I mean, he was bad during the regular season, right? I mean, I think yeah. Bucks had like a negative differential with him on the floor during the regular season during that short period. Um, so it's it, it's kind of funny because it's like you know, it all it all came through in the playoffs. Like they had not figured it out during the regular season last year. So for those people stressed out about the regular season this year, you know, again, that's another example um, where it only came together in the playoffs just by you know by luck of of whatever. Um, so I, I, you know, I wanted to bring PJ back, and part of me also was just like, hey, give him two years. Then you have the salary slot, and it, at worst, yeah. you know, if he sucks this year, he's an expiring contract, and you can, you know, use him to to potentially make a move in the offseason, whatever it might be. So, um, you know, I definitely didn't foresee him leading the NBA in three point percentage, <laughs> which is like mm. just very bizarre. Um, it's like okay. George Hill doing it that year. I mean, it's just. Yeah, I mean. You know, look, and hey, I'm I'm happy for PJ. I mean, it worked out really well for him, right? He wins the championship, mm-hmm. he gets paid, he gets to go to Miami, he can drive with his Ferraris with the top down, mm-hmm. and he's starting. He wouldn't start in Milwaukee, right? I mean, they're not right. starting him at the two guard or whatever like they did during the playoffs last year. Um, and the other thing too is it's a little like you know it's it's interesting to kind of look back at it because, I mean, when the move happened, I thought, okay, now they have somebody that they can at least like throw at Durant, and again, again, yeah. like. Is he going to stop Durant? Of course not. But, um, but you know, a guy you can do that physically with, and he's switchable, so you kind of have different lineup flexibility. And you know, the thing I always like to say about PJ is he lets you play small, but you're still you can still play big. You know, like you, you you're not going to get crushed on the boards if PJ is at the four and Giannis is at the five, right? You can still rebound, you can switch, you can do different things. Um, and but at the same time, it's like you look back at especially the last two series, and it's like did PJ really make sense to be starting against the Hawks and the Suns? It's like, you know, no. he's guarding 
what Bogdan Bogdanovich, and then he starts on Chris Paul, and they have to take him off Chris Paul. I mean, you know, put him on Devin Booker for for extended periods, things like that. I mean, he was actually like not really being used for the most part in the way that like kind of makes the most of PJ Tucker, right? I, I totally think, agree. You sort of think of him as a guy who can yeah. like play as a small ball four or even five and switch onto bigs and like hold his ground and stuff, but that's really not that much what they were doing. Um, and I, I think, you know, and I think also just like, I think people overstated the degree to which like switching actually mattered during the playoffs. I think it mattered like in definitely like late game situations in particular, but um, kind of like the switch all switch everything type stuff wasn't quite as prevalent maybe as people sort of remember it as. So, um, so I think when it happened, especially when they got, you know, then they come back and they, they get Grayson Allen. Um, at that point, that's when I sort of just started to think like, okay, like, they're consciously betting on like, let's get younger and we still need to kind of figure out like, you know, the, the, the forward spots. Um, but you know, maybe we're just going to lean into being more of an offensive team this year mm-hmm. and we will sacrifice something defensively without PJ Tucker, but he obviously brings some sacrifices offensively. And so I, I don't know. I mean, you know, is that something that can work in the playoffs? We may have to find out. Um, and, you know, I think Wes has shown, has not looked as good of late. Um, but I think, you know, if, if you're having to find somebody to guard like threes and twos and even ones, I mean, I think Wes is probably probably as good at defending a two or a one as, as PJ is. Yeah. Um, I think my big concern is just, you know, if you do need somebody to be like the backup four, um, I mean, that's not Wes, right? He's too small to, to kind of do, do a ton of that. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, again, you just wish you could get healthy. You wish you could get Brooke back so that at least you have three actual big guys. And then, you know, you're not feeling that absence of PJ as much um, in the first place. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's just the problem, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you don't bring PJ back, you know, I mean, we're already seeing it like the boogie thing, right? It's like, <laughs> right. you know, like you, you right. take boogie away and then they start losing some games. And it's like, of course, some people are going to say like, well, we're losing because of Boogie. It's like, well, I mean, Boogie's no, like, he, thank you for he's, saying. He's that. fine, you know. Be, he he gave them a nice shot offensively. He's not helping you defensively, you know. Like, I don't think we should say like the bottom fell out on the Bucks because right. of Boogie Cousins, who wasn't even around, you know, whatever. But um, but I think with PJ, you can much more obviously say like, well, if you didn't win a championship, it's like, well, what'd you guys do? Well, you guys, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. one of the key mm-hmm. guys from the championship mm-hmm. team goes. So there you go, right? Um. So not something I would have, you know, I would have just said, you know, that's, fuck it. That's a very, money, real, that's, that's a very real fallacy that I certainly fall into too. But like, you know, Brooke is gone and we all appreciate Brooke. If Chris was gone all year, if Drew was gone all year, it's like, well, you know, the Bucks didn't have Drew and then we added Drew. So Drew gets to be the missing piece. Well, he is the missing piece, I guess, by definition, but it's just the thing that we needed. It's, it, it's a valuable part of this kind of hole that we need, but I mean, it, yeah, that's I, I fall into that fallacy all the time. But the question, though, because this ties into Bootenholzer, and this is this is narrative, and you know, this is a lot of other things. I do think there's a little bit of truth to it. There's an idea out there that Bootenholzer works in a veterans locker room, and then therefore we need PJ to tell we need the Chris Paul type to tell the coach, we're not running that play. We're doing what I want to do. And then PJ was one more kind of malcontent. And the conspiracy theory is that's why he's not here after maybe he had a handshake deal. But regardless of that portion, there's the idea that Bootenholzer is a really good coach for a strong locker room. So, I mean, 
play random is a funny thing to say, but I, we know kind of what he meant. You know, play loose. If he just said play loose, I don't think it would have been such a such a t-shirt. But how are you? How how are you feeling about Bootenholzer going into this 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 kind of stretch run? I honestly, probably the best compliment I can pay Bud is that I really never think about Bud being like like a swing piece. Like I I'm 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 not really worried about him being the reason the Bucks are going to lose. Um, nor am I looking at him as like, oh, well, we got Bud, so he'll figure it out. You know, he'll sort through whatever problems we have and make sure, you know, paper over those. Like, I'm not ascribing that to him either. Um, you know, it's it's interesting what you said about PJ. I think there may have been a little of that. I don't, I don't think that they let PJ go because, like, Bud didn't want him or something. I, that is definitely not what I'm saying. I think, like, on the way out, there was probably a little bit of, like, yeah, and he's a little bit of a handful, and he's not uh-huh. going to start. So is he going to, you know, is it, yeah? Could that be eventually an issue, especially if his play really declines, right? Which which hasn't happened to to PJ's credit, his play has not declined in in Miami. So that you know really wasn't a concern at least for this year. It looks like, and again, who knows, right? I mean, maybe by the playoffs he's you know he's that much older. strings yeah. and yeah, yeah, I mean he's he's old. So um, so so we'll kind of see, but um, but honestly, yeah, I mean I. You know, and again, I I try not to be overly nostalgic about it. Um, and and you know, you can obviously <sighs> trick yourself into just sort of saying like, well, just just keep going with the guys that that got you there. And you know, especially with the age of the roster, that that obviously can also trip trip you up if you're just gonna say like, oh, well, let's just try out PJ Tucker till he's 40. It's like, well, okay, that, that's probably right. not gonna you right. know lead you to, to four championships or something, but. Um, but as far as Bud goes, um, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not that worried about it. You know, I think a lot of the stuff that we were concerned about with him, um, you know, playing, leaning into his guys and playing big minutes. Obviously, he played his best players a ton of minutes. Um, you know, maybe there was a little too much Jeff Teague. Um, but, <laughs> you know, like I feel better about George Hill. <laughs> Um, and, I, and, I was and, at the I was at the only game Jeff Teague did game six game, game six, six yes, yeah there you yes, go yeah. Um, man that was perfect though right Jeff Teague get get making his Back contribution home. to the yeah. to the to the group project there yep. um, but um, I, I you know I think the rotation stuff and for the most part you know I mean the Bucks had to make big decisions about when they were going to go small with switching when they were going to play Brooke right because I mean that's the thing I mean yeah. Brooke was hugely important. But he wasn't always closing games, and it was really important that the Bucks were able to, at times, go away from kind of that that typical look that that we got used to seeing from them. So I think for the most part, you know, he dialed up kind of what needed to be dialed up, and you know, I don't think Bud is the reason why Drew Holiday couldn't make shots or why the Bucks couldn't make three pointers. Um, you know, I think especially as the last two rounds, I think offensively they got into a way better place than they were, you know, after two, three games of that net series when it just felt like they were just kind of hopelessly getting in their own way. So, you know, again, is Bud, you know, a top five coach? Maybe there's, I think there's arguments for that, you know, especially given he just led you to a championship. Um, but I will say this, I'm, I'm not, you know, you're not going to see me with a fire Bud avatar um, anytime <laughs> soon. He's going to have to really... You know, that was last year. That was last year. Last year, yeah. It, that it, was it seems like halfway five years through ago. the playoffs. That was seems, you know, that <laughs> series. Years ago. Yeah, that, I mean, I and I and I literally, I mean, hey, I remember it too. Like, you know, 
game game six of the net series thinking well if they lose tonight at least we'll probably get a new coach and you know maybe that's what what do you need hey maybe we get rick carlisle right which is hilarious right. now with carlisle struggles in indiana um so yeah i mean but that's this thing right it's just you know people talk about i mean people talk about the kd you know if his feet were wore a smaller shoe whatever and it's just like you know i mean there's so many things you, know, so you go back you, you go back and look at the highlights i mean i don't know i mean obviously the bucks missed a lot of crunch time shots too but just yeah chris had the shot before that i mean if chris hits a shot before that we go up four and it's over i mean there was plenty it was back and forth like crazy but like Giannis, like the first half of that game, Giannis is baking in threes and Pat's hot and then Chris and Drew are cold and then they sort of catch fire and then there's the – like everything about that, man, that's a great game. I, you're right, and you told me and you were very nice and you reached out to me in DM about the video. But, yes, I wanted to – like I can't make a Nets video now, but that series, up to and including P.J. Tucker with Durant's mom, the fight on the side, that was – man, that was that was a complete meal. Just that series was just incredible. Castillo 602-253-6223. I'm attorney Richard Castillo. I have been an Arizona trial attorney for over 25 years. If you or your loved one was seriously injured or a death resulted from an automobile, motorcycle, or trucking accident, a pedestrian accident, even from a dog bite, call me at 602-253-6223. You may have the grounds for a personal injury or wrongful death claim if it was caused by another person's negligence, recklessness, or misconduct. You have the opportunity to recover financial compensation for medical bills, pain and suffering, emotional trauma, lost wages, and more if there are permanent injuries or death. Call 602-253-6223. I provide aggressive representation. Knowing your rights is essential to protecting your rights. If you are involved in an accident, Stop at the safest point nearest to the accident scene. Call 911 for the police and paramedics. Gather names and addresses of witnesses and the parties involved. Get the name of the insurance companies, driver's license and vehicle registration. Make sure to take photographs of the accident scene and the vehicles involved. Be careful what you say. Do not admit fault, even if you think it's your fault. See your doctor as soon as possible. Serious injuries do not always result in immediate pain or bloodshed. If you do not have a doctor, I can assist you in obtaining one. Call 602-253-6223. The sooner I am brought into the case, the better I can advise you and protect your rights. Put Richard Castillo on your phone and call me at 602-253-6223. Get a free consultation by mentioning this ad. You can also visit me online at www.richardcastillolawfirm.com También hablamos español Castillo 602-253-6223 Castillo 602-253-6223 Castillo No, it was, I mean, it, it, it's funny, right? Because the Miami series was fun but other than game one, there never felt like there was pressure. Right. And the net series really was a heavyweight fight. And, you know, to to be just battered emotionally and physically in the first two games 
and then nearly lose game three. I mean, when Durant hit that three, I think with like 80 seconds to go in game three to put the nets up, I mean, the whole season is hanging in the balance. I think it was Middleton, because Middleton and Durant were going back and forth in, in down the stretch of that game. I think Middleton hit another shot or two, and then Drew obviously like, Matador defense from the Nets. Drew gets that that shot yeah. to to basically yeah. win it, um, you know. And then you just go through the rest of that series, and um, you know, games five, six, seven. Uh, man, I mean, that 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 was the first series where it felt like we've accomplished something, right? Like, yeah, this is something we're celebrating, really, right? Like, there was something about that which felt like we've really done something. This is something that we can really like enjoy even though we know we got to win two more series. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think like a lot of people, I mean, I still remember, you know, watching game seven and standing, I was actually in Houston at my in-laws and standing there and eventually my daughter came over and, you know, I took a picture of a video of me and her, me holding her on the very last play when we knew that the Bucks were going to win and on the final inbound or whatever. And we were like, yeah, you know, um, but man, yeah, the Nets series was just like its own thing. And um, I mean, obviously, Phoenix will always get the most airtime because that's the finals. But um, but yeah, I mean, that that Nets series will will always be, I think, you know, one that will stand out for 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 a lot of different reasons. It's it's one of the best. I struggle how to talk about Durant, but, you know, clearly top 25 player of all time at his absolute peak in a huge market, even though it's not the Knicks. And it was just so back and forth. And, and again, the thing that you need in the NBA, which is why LeBron really has had such broad shoulders for the league is that you need somebody that people equally hate and like, and, and the James Harden of it all, like, and one of the biggest shots to give Chris his credit, there was, I think it was game seven where Harden banked in a three Maybe yeah. with three or four oh, minutes. Of- God, that was. And I was like, it's over. Oh, I know no. that was like we. They're getting that. Like, yeah, absolutely. That was just such a crusher. Like that bailout from that left wing. It was. You could tell when he shot it. It was way off. And the only way he was going to make it was a bank. And sure enough, it was a bank. Right. Like, oh. I was bumming me out just bringing that one up. We we had moved here, and you know what I was doing? I was so stressed that I, my brother in law was here. We had just moved to South Carolina, and I was doing the distant thing with the game. I don't know if you ever do this where you're watching it and you're so invested, but I was tweeting a lot and I was trying to kind of be distant by it. And when Connaughton or somebody would hit a shot, I'd be like, that's nice. But, but every time the other team would score, I'd be like, yeah, of course, you know, but it was just, the stakes were so elevated for that. I mean, it really does. And Giannis and Durant, I mean, that's, that's what you want. You know, that's what you want. It's like Kareem and Wilton. It's like Wilton Russell or something like that. It was just, so special to have that happen. The, the 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 play that I think the play that other than the Harden play, the other play that just like crushed me. I mean, a couple other kind of mine, but the play when I forget who turned it over, but we should we have we Bucks got the ball and it should have been a fast break, and then they turned it over and they threw it back. Harden I think threw it to Durant and Pat like just tried to foul him, but Durant dunked it or whatever for the three point play oh, in the yeah. fourth. And I think, yeah. I think that was in the early in the fourth quarter, I want to say. Um, and when that happened, I think that put them up like seven or something like that. And I was just like, Cuss. like, you know, crowd was going crazy. And it was just like, Oh man, this is where, you know, sad sack, never trust the bucks. Like just comes crashing down on you. Like it just feels like it was, it was kind of all, all hitting you. And, 
Um, and then the other play just immediately came to mind was, I mean, the only basket of overtime for the, for the Nets, I, I'm, I, I, I maintain to this day that Bruce Brown committed a loose ball foul, getting a rebound to that he put back in then um, for the first basket of overtime. Um, oh, yes, yes, I can see it. Yes. Yeah. I don't yep. know if he fouled Giannis or who it was, but he like pushed somebody and got the ball and, and puts it up and in. It's just like, you know, because it felt like we should have not been going to overtime and then they immediately get the first basket, right? And it's just like, and I don't know it's it's just it's just crazy, right? To think then like, yep, that's it. They're, they're, I, not, gonna, they're not gonna score any more I, points, and we're I, still barely gonna beat them. I cracked. I mean, it wasn't the screen of my phone, but like the screen protector of my phone. When early three minutes left in overtime, whatever else we get a rebound, and I don't know if it was tied or we were still down two, and Chris tried the baseball pass or something like that, and it went and it went right to the other team, whatever else. But it was like this was. Before we knew those, I mean, obviously you don't know that Durant is not going to make any more shots and it's kind of over, but it was just, I allowed myself to believe you're like, you know, if we hit a three, we're probably going to win. Like we were so close and it was back and forth. And the other thing was the Joe Harris miss. Joe Harris had a wide open three, I think in the end of overtime, but maybe it was regulation. And then, yeah, that was a great series that, that elevated all the participants except Harden and Kyrie, which is, you know, funny to me, but like, Durant, Durant just stayed up here and it was great. So final question, man, we'll get you out of here. Or what, unless you want to talk about the Middleton all-star thing, but I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that's going to hey, be hey. a whole other episode. Like I, was, like I was saying, you know, when, when you're, you know, what, what was the stat that he had like tied LeBron for like the most shots to put you ahead or tie in the fourth yeah. quarter during an entire playoffs order? When you're just a, a title winning clutch bucket getter, you, you get the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, that's that's just the way it is. So I was that was bizarre. It was funny because I I thought last year he should have gotten in, and when he didn't get voted in by the coaches, I was like, the coaches not really giving Chris the benefit of the doubt. And so it was especially weird this year because it's just like I don't know. I mean, I think the position stuff played into him getting yeah. it over Drew, but um, but I don't know. It is, it is very weird that Drew Holiday is not somebody that like just gets these sorts of things. But anyway, that's that's your next Eric, Eric used to get so mad at me because I blamed you and Eric for um for Chris getting over Bledsoe that year. <laughs> Bledsoe was unnaturally hot the first half of that year. And um Bledsoe uh, did just I, I, I agree with yeah. you. Like Chris's first all star year, like he was like he was sulking. That was when he got benched in that December game against the Knicks and like he had a rough first half and then still made the made the the all-star team, which is, you know, cause the bucks were so good, but, but I agree. I think Bledsoe was the more deserving guy in that first playoffs, the, the first all-star year that Chris made it in 18, 19. But yeah, it's, it's bizarre to say that, right? Because like yeah. Eric Bledsoe forgotten, buried, you know, traded again today um, as just like a contract, but, but yeah. Um, but Hey, shout out to Chris oh. Middleton, just three-time all-star now. Three-time all-star, one-time deserve it. Although I think Drew will get in, man. So it's cool. Like if they all get in, like, I, look, I'm happy. Like it, I'm still happy he got in. Don't get me wrong, but it is hilarious. And to the extent that I'm a little bit of it, look, I, I can't even have it come out of my mouth that I'm some kind of historian, but you know what I mean? Like I make videos, you try to look at big picture stuff. The laundering of all the credit to Chris drives me a little bit nuts. It'd be like, wait, I'll credit for what? Well, it'd be like if it was the 2010 Packers and it's like Jennings and Jordy and driver and Jones and Cobb and all these guys, but they just gave all the credit to Jordy Nelson. You'd be like, no, it was kind of all those guys. Right. And I, I think the kind of playoff clutch killer thing, 
Well, you mentioned it. I mean, it, it's it's pretty much the same thing that we were talking about with Bud or Giannis or Drew or any of these guys. I mean, Drew and Chris showed up for two, two and a half games per series, and Giannis made us all think that maybe he's going to be the 10th best player of all time or something crazy like that. I mean, it was more about Giannis. And so now I, I, I still feel basically, you know, you know what the best, I was thinking about this the other day, and I was wrong about this. Because, again, you can't predict injuries, but I, I wasn't on the Chris Paul train. You know, when that was kind of talk, you know, you knew he was unhappy and it was like, well, maybe the Bucks could get Chris Paul. Almost the best possible team you could imagine is Giannis and Chris and Chris Paul, like a, as an idea. But Chris, Chris is like one of the best third bananas you can imagine, right? And Chris Paul would tell him the stuff that I still want him to do, which is, hey, dude, every time you get the pick and roll with Giannis, you can shoot that, right? Like, you don't have to just, like, no look it to him, like, 10 times out of 10. You can shoot that some of the times. And so I think, you know, like, obviously, I think we were all encouraged by the things that happened in the playoffs where he, all like, what was it? The 40-point game, he shot 33 times or something like that? Like, that never happens, you know? And and I just want him to play, I don't know. I want him to play like Joe Johnson. I want him to play like a guy who who can't wait to shoot. And he plays like a guy who thinks he's a point guard and then, Every once in a while, he looks like completely awesome. And then he goes back to kind of being a facilitator for Giannis, which I guess you probably agree with more than me. But it, it, it's, well, it's well documented. It just drives me nuts, you know? Uh, I mean, it's sort of funny. I, mean, I was talking to Kane about this, too. It's like, I mean, okay, the, the idea that Chris is just showing up for two, two and a half games uh, a series, like, let, let me state my my objection to that, the, the idea of him showing up. Um, he shot he shot 43%, though, for the playoffs. I mean, it wasn't it, this wasn't the Celtics series. I mean, the Celtics no, series. No, he, he wasn't like he wasn't like red hot, like throughout the playoffs or something like that. Right. Um, but, um, you know, like he was still about I think he, I want to say he was like about like average true shooting number, like 55, I think something like that. But yeah, I mean, like for the playoffs, he wasn't like lights out the entire time. Um, but I mean, I think that's sort of like the reality of like what kind of like the second and third guys like typically mm-hmm. need to do. Right. Um, and I think part of the sun's problem was like Devin Booker, like kind of didn't get called out on it that much, but like Devin Booker was also like putting up tons of really crooked shooting, yes. shooting nights. And the yep. problem was though, that like they did not have a Giannis to, <laughs> to, right. to compensate for that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think, Certainly, like there was some inconsistency to, you know, Chris's. Chris had his ups and downs, um, but you know, man, I mean, like, like think, just think about like the the two games in the in the Hawks series, um, the forty point game in the finals, right? I mean, that was that was a must win game that you had to have. Um, and you had twenty nine in game six and was just you know going bonkers in the fourth quarter. I mean, some of those shots, which it's kind of crazy that the game ended up being so close, right? Because they really had control yeah. and chris was hitting like the that, that step back shot i was like it, it's wild that they that they almost squandered that game um and of course you know i think it was game six of the net series as well he was he was a monster so um so yeah i mean that's 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 the upside right is that Giannis is sort of like the base load it's like every game it's 30 and 10 and efficiency and then you know drew and chris were able to play off that and and there wasn't the same pressure on them that they had to give you 30 points on, mm-hmm. you know, 50% shooting from the field every night. Um, but, you know, I think, again, there, I think there is some upside, especially for Drew, because obviously Drew's offense was was a lot shakier than, than Chris's. Um, and again, I think the thing too, for me, um, I mean, you're, you're kind of alluding to, I think, I mean, I, I have made the argument that, that Chris is probably the best 
overall passer on the team, which you can argue for Drew, you can argue even for Giannis. I don't really buy Giannis so much because Giannis is more or less just like kicking out. He, I mean, he's gotten really good at it, but he's more or less just this kicking is, out. Okay, reason. wait. But, Come right back to what you're saying. That's excellent analysis by you, and I've been meaning to say that for a while, but I no one gets any run on Twitter by saying these passes. Like, I, look, I was a point guard, whatever. These are great passes. He's passing the spots. You can yes. see him look. He sees it there. He looks. He sees it there, and then he uses his go-go gadget arms to make an incredible pass. But it's not like – it's not a Magic Johnson pass. And yeah. So go ahead. Go ahead. But I, I, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, and, and look um, – Drew and Chris have the benefit of being able to pass to Giannis and Giannis cannot pass to himself, except when he throws it off the glass to himself, I guess. But, um, but you know, I I think, and sometimes Chris gets a little carried away when like, you know, last year, especially like through some like lobs over the top, like late in games for Giannis. It's just like, uh, I think you're getting a little too ambitious with those. Um, But I I think that's one of the really key things that, that I think especially people from the outside probably don't appreciate, like who think they think of Chris as more or less just like, a really good shooter, you know, sniper type guy, and Drew's the point guard. But the fact that all of those guys in different ways can pass and play make, and they can score for themselves and create their own shot, but then they can also make the other guys' lives easier. You know, both Drew and Chris can set up Giannis for dunks and pick and rolls. Um, you know, they're unselfish and, and they make plays for others. I think that's the thing that that probably gets gets underplayed a lot. I mean, again, just, you know. I agree. Yeah, Wings who put up, you know, twenty-five and five. I mean, they're they're just not a lot of guys that that do that. Um, and and but you know, I, again, but, but why can't he be a wing that puts up twenty-four, you know, five and two? Because again, not to cut you off, but I just how many games have you watched where it's nine and a half minutes out of the first quarter and he hasn't shot yet or he shot once? Like to me, the offense should always start with letting Giannis kind of probe a little bit. But, like, I want to see if he's – like, I. you got to understand, dude, I love it when he's hot. I loved it when Red was hot or, or, or Ray was hot or any of these guys. Like, I love a hot shooter. Like, and, and it's like he's got this this big joker in his back pocket, but he wants to kind of – like you said, they want to all kind of fit in. They all do similar things. There's these overlapping skill sets. And it's like, no, dude, start the game and let's see if you're hot. Don't wait until we've lost the first two games because we punted the first two games so many times. It's like, hey, how, how about you just destroy this team? You know, that's always my objection. Yeah, well, and it's it's usually too because it's like I think um I think the Bucks intentionally like I mean they'll run pick and roll with Giannis in first quarters. I'm not saying they don't do that, yeah. but um there's definitely certain things that they hold back a little bit. Like I think generally speaking, like yeah. Giannis will not slip screens early in games very much. Like, I think they usually... Giannis is generally like always setting legit screens in early in games. Um, and they kind of hold back. Like, the Giannis slip the screen and just, like, hard run to the rim for, like, out-of-timeout plays, like, in the fourth quarter in games. Like, you remember game one of the Atlanta series when Giannis was just, like... I don't know how many, like, pick-and-roll buckets he had in the fourth yeah. quarter, but, like, it was just, like... There must have been like four of them. And it wasn't, it was, I think it was more, more with Drew. Um, and it was kind of, I mean, you, know, you kind of get a thing where it's like, why don't you just run this every play? It's like, well, if you run it every play, like teams adjust. Like it's, you know, they've seen pick and rolls before. Um, and so, I, yeah, it, it's, it, it's interesting though. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the challenges of, of having three guys that can do all that stuff is, you know, who's getting the ball and, and just getting enough oxygen that everybody, you know, has a chance to, to kind of get their feel for the game and, and get shots up and things like that. 
Um, but again, I mean, you know, we, we saw it last year, God willing, we'll see it again this year. They'll have a chance that you're just going to need all those guys to at some point have those monster games. And, um, you know, I, I, again, I think there's upside that they can be, you know, especially Drew, but to some extent, even Chris, like they can, they could be even better, you know, this, this playoff series and, or this playoff yeah. run than they were last year. Right. I mean, knock on wood. That's the that, dream. That's, that's, that's the dream. We'll see. Yeah. So real quick, um, book of Boba Fett. <laughs> what are your thoughts? This part was not real quick, but there are spoilers ahead. So there's spoilers for the entirety of the Mandalorian, the book of Boba Fett, um, and the entire Star Wars canon, including the um, apocryphal Disney canon. So probably my favorite part of the entire conversation. Just wanted to give a heads up and a general spoiler warning. Uh, the, the first, so the first four episodes, I was like, it's fine, whatever, like, I'll keep watching it, you know, like, I've watched all the Marvel series, they're fine, like, I, you know, like, I I thought Loki was more, Loki is probably my most, my my favorite, I think WandaVision was interesting, but maybe a little overrated, um, but I watch all of them, you know, it's kind of like, all right, yeah, you know, just kind of whatever, um, and so I kind of thought, like, all right, Boba Fett's kind of just gonna be, like, "Eh, it's fine, whatever, um, and then episodes five and six come, and it's like, okay, now they're like exploring. And I, and I guess, you know, we should say spoiler alert for, for people who have not seen the show, but good. We're doing this at the very end. Yep. Um, I personally, like for me, I want, when I, when I think about like star Wars, like I want to see, yes, I want to see world building, but I want to see like a lot of characters be brought in. I, I, I'm not really interested in like, kind of like doing like a really narrow slice and like, let's go really deep on like this narrow slice of Canon. Like, I want to like say I want to like think big. Give me Jedi. Give me nostalgia. Yeah, give me some fan service. That's fine. But then also give me new characters that maybe I haven't seen and kind of intermixes and and stuff like that. So I I've really enjoyed the last two episodes. I enjoyed the the kind of the last arc of the second season of The Mandalorian. Um, so yeah, I mean I I just enjoy it. You know, I'm my daughter's four. I I've shown her all of the original trilogy um yeah. not that she's like paid attention to all of it but like she knows all the main characters and you know like i'm teeing her up to build the to, to build lego star wars with me at some point in the near future oh, okay. so i'm kind of planting those seeds um but i've i've enjoyed it i'm kind of curious i i didn't realize it's only a seven episode season for boba fett so you know i assume whatever they do with this will bleed over into you know whatever ahsoka show in the next season the mandalorian but i i kind of I, I almost prefer them because they're just like creating a big universe and just like exploring it throughout the different series rather than kind of making them very self-contained. Cause I also like, you know, when the Mandalorian was just like, you know, monster of the week, yeah. like, you know, samurai Western type stuff just on him. I was like, eh, that's not as interesting to me. Like give me kind of the broader universe. So that's my, oh, interesting. that's my, that's my, that's my kind of Boba slash, you know, Disney star Wars take, I don't know what's, what's been your, your feeling about it. My brother and them, maybe we'll do this next week. I feel like they were kind of, but, but kind of what you expressed, they were kind of mad about the first three, four episodes, not, not angry, but just kind of like, uh, this isn't what I want. Yeah. Underwhelmed. There is kind of this idea. I was into kind of the Western thing. Cause I, 
I think when you do the Western thing, at least characters can kind of get shot and die. I mean, um, what's his name from Justified died this last episode, but it was maybe, kinda, uh, maybe yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I thought that was a very, yeah. I th- and I said, that was a very cool, like bringing in Cad Bane who I'm not like, I haven't seen all of the animated series stuff, but I've seen a lot of it. So I knew the Cad Bane character. And so when that came in, I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, wow. Like that was actually yeah. like a really interesting way to kind of bring back the Western gunslinger type stuff. But yeah, no, I, I like that. I would listen to a weekly podcast, the Clone Wars show, the kind of the original one before when that was kind of a thing. That was that was pretty good stuff for me. And I kind of fell away from I didn't watch the bad. I just got caught up with other stuff and didn't watch the Bad Batch or any of that other. Did you watch Star Wars Rebels? I stopped. You know what? Actually, seriously, like we watched the first three or four and then they kept watching or we just something happened and I just never went back. And then I got spoiled on what kind of happened with it. And so in my head, I'm not saying that's not canon to me, but it's I don't know of it. So it's kind of whatever. And even the scene where she's talking to Luke, to CGI Luke, um, I like the Ahsoka character and everything. And, and I really I really like um, Rosario Dawson. Rosario, Yeah, Rosario yeah. Dawson. But but there's still a part of me when she's talking and she's, and she's like, you're like your father. And me, a huge Star Wars fan, it took me three beats to know what she was talking about because it's still kind of this disconnect between the cartoon and, and, and all of that. It, but it's like you said, it's it's of a piece with all these kind of Disney Plus shows that you're getting where it's like, I'm never mad that I'm watching it. So it's kind of like whatever. I do hope the Sand People maybe come back because i mean that that was the conceit of, of mandalorian season one it's like we introduce all these characters and they all come back and and fight in the, in the penultimate the ultimate episode and it's kind of like a cool thing and you kind of forget about them but then they all kind of come back at the end and i thought they split the atom pretty well with the idea of the sand people it's always kind of weird to me when something like star wars is full of all these kind of things but they're not supposed to be direct so yes the ewoks are kind of a vietnam reference in indoor but you don't want to think of them just as that Right. And you don't want to think of the sand people as just Native Americans because then, you know, it's just so you want a little bit of that. So I don't like I didn't like the idea that all of a sudden they were going to make the sand people just completely good, benevolent when they were completely the other kind of way. But I thought they did a good job of showing both of that because presumably they were going to torture them and let them die or whatever else. So I thought that I like that. But my brother and the guys kind of I perceive like didn't as much. But I think it, if, if every episode of this show goes from kind of whatever to like pretty good by the end, I'll be satisfied with that. And, you know, it's kind of whatever. And, I, and I, I'm in the tank for Luke Skywalker. Like Luke Skywalker is probably one of my favorite characters or, or, or archetypes, I guess, just period. I mean, that, that was my guy growing up even more than Solo. So I, like, I'm, I don't even know how good those scenes are, but I just, I'm just happy. I'm just smiling at them, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I loved, like the reintroduction of him in in the season finale of, of season two of the Mandalorian, um, you know, it it was like really like the payoff, right? It felt like to see Luke at his full power. Yes. After decades of like wondering what that <laughs> would be, yes. um, and then getting and and I didn't hate the the last trilogy as much as most kind of people did, but you know, of course, it was you know underwhelming to you know, to, to see Luke, to, to, to have that big gap that we never really had filled in. So I thought it was awesome that he came back. Um, the CGI was, you know, a little bit like shaky. And so that's what blew me away about the, the special effects and the deep faking on this most recent episode yeah. was like, Oh my God, like if you didn't know that Mark Hamill is, you know, 60, whatever years old now, you would be like, Oh, this 
okay, this is cool, right? Like, that's just an actor. Um, so I was just like, I was so happy that they nailed that. And I guess they like hired a guy who did some really great deep fakes um, after the oh, first one. Yeah, this guy like Shamook is his name. He's like a YouTube deep faker. Um, and I think he basically like did, he basically put on YouTube like a better version of. Oh, really? They, I've seen some of those, on. yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, I don't know exactly how all that stuff contributed to what we saw here now, but like now, I, I mean, it's crazy. Like seeing it, I'm just like thinking about the possibilities of like, because after I saw the last season of Mandalorian, I was like, well, they can't like, they can't, I don't, I don't know that like they can do like full story arcs with this version, with this technology. Like it's a little uncanny valley. Um, but like seeing, seeing this last episode and how convincing it looks, I'm just like, give me more of this, you know? And, give me more of this. Um, yeah. and, and I, I definitely, it's kind of funny you mentioned the Ahsoka Luke scene and it hit me um, right as she like walks up next to him. I'm just like, oh my gosh. She was Anakin's Padawan and now yes, she's yes. here with Luke. And, and it's just like, how awesome is this that like we're, we're seeing this and it's like so well done. And again, like, you know, it's a subtle thing. Like Ahsoka doesn't do much in, in, in these scenes. Um, but my hope is, you know, with her getting a spinoff, I thought her episode in the second season of Mandalorian was really cool. And so I, I'm, yes. I'm very hopeful yes. that, that, you know, we will continue to see again, like, I don't, it's like almost like more magical when they just give us a little bit of Luke, you know? Um, yes. but yes. I, I, I think it's really cool that like, we've kind of like reestablished this world and they're actually showing us the full scope of it. And we're getting to see the people that, you know, we, we cared about the most. And again, you know, we haven't seen, you know, Han and Leia from this, this era, but, um, but just the people that we are seeing is, is pretty cool. And, you know, again, the fact that I, I was, um, um, MK Robert, you know, uh, our mutual Twitter, oh, yeah, Twitter yeah, yeah. friend, um, you know, I, I was kind of debating with him a little bit. I think he, he made a comment, you know, and he, he hasn't seen the Boba Fett show, but I think you know, his view is he, he does, does not have as, as favorable view of, kind of what Disney's done. I think, was, and maybe he was thinking more of the movies that, that they're sort of out of touch with fans. And I was just kind of like, I think Filoni and Favreau like have kind of crushed it. Like, you yeah. Rogu is a brand new thing that like absolutely captured the imagination of existing fans and new people. And that was a phenomenon. And the Mandalorian is a new character. And yeah, I mean, they're tugging at sort of like heartstrings with the nostalgia and bringing these old characters, but um, but I think it's just, you know, Johnny worked really well and Filoni, like the characters that he created through the Clone Wars, whether it's, you know, Ahsoka or some of the other kind of, you know, Cad Bane now. Um, I think it's really cool how they're sort of like bringing all this canon sort of together in interesting ways. And, you know, you can kind of guess that like some of the things might happen. But, um, but you know, I, again, I also think like, you know, you know, I mean, you're kind of alluding to like, you don't want to like overthink it either, either right? Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's 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 kind of entertainment for all ages and it's mass market stuff and as long as it's done you know really well and i mean like it looks amazing right um it looks amazing and i think it's done with the requisite care and respect for the source material um and still trying to build kind of new things i'm i'm very curious kind of what they do with like the kind of bo katan and and mandalore yeah. stuff which i assume is going to be in the next well season of the mandalorian but it's all it's all cool i mean I, i'm i'm all the kind of chess pieces they put out on the on the board, I think, are interesting, and they just have a ton of different things that they can be doing. So, um, I guess I am a little curious, like as far as like villains go, you know, like we had Moff Gideon, hmm. and I don't know what, what what will happen with him. 
Um, but that's sort of the, I think maybe the, the one part like is, is having like really, you know, uh, and maybe Cad Bane is that guy, right? He's a great sort of villain from the, the animated show. Um, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm excited about this general kind of like era. The fact that we have three shows now running in this concurrent timeline um, is really cool. And, and, you know, if they don't make me movies, like as long as they keep giving us this, I'm excited. And then I guess we'll see. Are you, I mean, are you excited about the, um, the, the Obi-Wan show that's coming, which um, I, I am, but I mean, it's still, I think a little ways off. So I'm, I'm not really thinking about it much. I haven't thought about it at all, but I, I finally reached a point in life, and this went to our Spider our Spider Man episode where I'm not going to watch the trailer unless I'm happen to be at the show and I watch the trailer because I'm at the movies. But I didn't watch the Obi Wan trailer, or maybe I glanced at it. But I just I just prefer to be excited, and it it, it helped my enjoyment of Spider Man. It, it just kind of helps my enjoyment. If I get the if I'm at work and it's a Tuesday and some trailer comes out, I get the nostalgia bump there but then it's not going to be the same as, as when I kind of watch it. But, but I'm sure I'll be all in when it comes right down to it. Cause like Obi-Wan, you know, those are kind of my core characters. I mean, those are the characters I care about. And I have to assume, like you said, though, Filoni and, and Favreau, it almost makes me think <laughs> I haven't, I haven't vetted this hot take for myself. It makes me feel like, like, like Robert Rodriguez is a little overrated. <laughs> um, um, a little bit, and I kind of felt that a little bit. I know he was kind of doing the Desperado thing with that really well-lit scene, and you kind of almost have to, the scene from last year where uh, Boba kind of is revealed, and I think you almost have to think about that as kind of a Desperado scene, but it, it's just, I feel like some of the ones he's done, uh, he's directed have been a little bit underwhelming, but I could completely be off base on that. But I just think, going back to what you said, I just think the magic trick of one of the most iconic suits, one of the most iconic mysterious characters, uh, Boba Fett of all time. And they pulled off this magic trick that they have this Mandalorian, which is this character they just came up with. And he's eating Boba's lunch in his own show. And people are like, oh, this is the show. This is the show that I want. They're in like the ice room or whatever. And, 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 and they kind of, that great audio Western cue of like, this is the Mandalorian kind of cue that comes in whenever he shows up. And it's just like, wow, do I like this guy more than Boba Fett? The guy who, you know, I didn't have the toy, but like the guy I've grown up with. And it's, they're just okay shows, but man, it, I do enjoy watching them. And and you said my son's 10, uh, went through the full Marvel phase and I didn't push it on him. And it's really paying dividends now because his Star Wars phase just came in in the last six months and it's like really, really strong and he's drawing himself as characters and he's doing all this and it's just like, they're really into it all the time. And like I come home and he's watching Empire Strikes Back and I'm like, you know, got, got him, it's great. You know? Well, it's kind of weird that people our age, um, I mean, I'm 40, that I am, like I feel like I am such a Star Wars person because... I mean, Return of the Jedi came out when I was two. Yep. So, you know, my whole childhood, I didn't have any of the tapes. Like, I just would see them on, like, TNT or USA. Like, I don't even remember the first time I saw them. And then they re-released the for the 25th anniversary or whatever, um, or the 20th anniversary, I guess, um, when I was in high school. So I went and saw yep. the, the, you know, the CGI upgraded, not really, versions. And then and then obviously the, the, the prequels came out. Um so it's a little weird to me in some ways that like, man, like you think about just a big gap in time during my childhood when there was like nothing coming out. And so that, I think that's the cool part now is that, you know, there's all these different kind of bite-sized ways to, you know, get 
get Star Star Wars content. And um, it's it's funny. I thought I thought Boba in the and in, in the Mandalorian was was very cool. I think the sort of like what happened after the Sarlacc pit stuff has been you know kind of interesting. You know, like the going native, you know, uh, sort of piece of it, right? Um, but then part of me is just like, all right, you became a crime lord, but like you're too nice of a crime lord and like you don't like kill people and whatever it just that part just felt like a it just feels like a bit too disney for me where it's just like okay you know and i think temor maris morrison is like a a great actor like i think he's a good person for the role but what they've done with the character and kind of like taking away his like edge and he's just sort of like you know kind of like an old guy who's who's kind of just like trying to respect everybody or whatever it's like is that really like what this character would be like if you know like I, I feel like there's a darker version of the character mm-hmm. that would be a lot more interesting um but i i don't know um cad bane says he's a cold-blooded killer he's been with the empire and i my eyebrow went up and i'm like oh yeah that's right because yeah it's, it's not really been our experience but i'm like oh yeah it is yeah he did hunt down the millennium falcon and all that but you're just like yeah but he's a protagonist so here we are but yeah, yeah it's, it's it's been softened a lot my my one prediction for episode seven um, is uh, oh god what what is the I can't believe I'm this is this is how you show I'm like not like really a hardcore Star Wars fan well, what's the name of the the like the monster thing from Return of the Jedi which oh yeah the Star- Trejo- I, I I kept saying the Sarlacc too but the uh, Rancor the Rancor Rancor he's got he's got to ride the Rancor the Rancor has got to yeah the Rancor yes. has got to come back and Boba is going to like ride the Rancor to some key moment to i mean they can't i don't think they can kill cad bane in the second episode he shows up but right. um but the rancor's gotta gotta loom large um in uh in the, the the finale uh but you know i don't know i mean like was it i mean i like the marvel movies but like what was it like was it spider-man was it captain america civil war where it's basically like yeah, not yeah. really a captain america movie and it's just like a bunch like they're all the, i mean to me that's kind of what it feels like where it's just sort of like all right we're gonna call this a Boba Fett show, or we're gonna we call this or whatever, but it just ends up being just an excuse. The Avengers, to, yeah, it's an Avengers. Yeah, it just yeah, ends up yeah. being a, an excuse to throw these characters together, and you know, thankfully, it, it took maybe a little bit um, to get to it, but um, you know, super friends unite, and I think the show is a lot better for having more than just you know, Fennec Shand and and Tamara Morrison and uh, uh, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the mods the. <laughs> that's oh, that was, so that, that was so bad. That was so bad. Probably, that was probably where they lost people. Now, I think Sophie Thatcher, who's also in Yellow Jackets, which is a show that I, I really like, she's like one of them. So I was like, oh, cool. Like she's in this. But then it's just like, uh, this is, feels like really Disneyfication of Boba Fett. Like, you know, how do you do, fellow kids? Like, uh, yes. And, um, but see, I, I, I felt that well. I felt that way every way. I don't think I ever saw a second of strangers with candy, but it was advertised every two seconds on comedy central, my entire like adolescent life. And so the old lady, I think is that lady from strangers with candy yeah. at, at, who, who works with the, um, the pit droids, oh, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, there, there are certain things, there are certain characters where you're like, this is a friend of the director kind of thing. Amy Sedaris. Yeah. Yeah. Amy, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, but, but even with that, I'll, and I'll let you go because I'm certainly not going to go into the whole thing about the Disney movies, but I, I think <laughs> the thing, no, the thing that, that 
you don't know that you're missing, but it's there. But then when you see it, you're like, oh, they're working on ships. That's kind of the Lucas thing. Or, oh, they're, they're, they're you know, that that was a big part of the Mandalorian. It's a big part of like tinkering with ships and the car culture. Stuff. Yeah, he's a car culture guy. Yeah. 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 The American graffiti and the whole deal. Right. And mm-hmm. so like the creatures and the machines are back. And I do think you can argue it's filler, but I just like it. I think it adds to the texture, all the stuff that's going on. I mean, bringing back the Naboo Starfighter was pretty cool. Um, I'm sure, hopefully, George Lucas appreciated that that the the old Naboo Starfighter has has resurfaced. So, yeah, um, I don't know, but it's just nice. Like the TV shows, just it's kind of nice. It's almost like it's taking the pressure off of the movies because it's like yeah. you know, multiple years of waiting doesn't turn into this this one singular piece of you know content that has to be judged as like the be all end all. Like the fact that we're just we're just gonna get you know three to four hours every year of content and it's going to jump around and whatever. And now we're going to get, you know, probably double that because there are going to be multiple shows coming out each year. So, um, so yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Star Wars is in a good place. I'm, 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 I'm happy with it. Well, we'd like to thank Mr. Frank Madden, um, world champion, Frank Madden for joining the <laughs> world like, champion. Did we, did we go longer on the Bucks parrot part or the, or the Star Wars part? I don't know, but I'm, I'm good with it. I'm okay. People could just turn off if they didn't like Star Wars. I, I enjoyed all of it, um, but, uh, but yeah, man, thanks a lot. It's it, it's it's been great, and it's been great to have you. We'll have we'll have you on next year. Um, we'll do it after the next championship. After the next championship, I like that. I, I like that even better. I like that even better. Which maybe never. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. We will do it again. Hopefully, it'll be after a next championship. But if not, we'll yes. we'll talk about Obi Wan the, the Obi Wan show. Bucks win, Bucks win, Bucks win. Um, back to back. Uh, I hate to be the wet blanket and say that Paul George and Kawhi aren't playing, but um, Drew Holiday, the Bucks' second All Star, really stepped up at the end of that. I'd like to thank Mr. Frank Madden for coming on the show. Such a fun episode. I appreciate um, all the support throughout the years. I don't know if we're going to do a Super Bowl. I don't have strong Super Bowl thoughts one way or the other. I, I kind of, if you had to like nail me down to it, I, I would say this feels like the kind of game where the Rams win, but Stafford has two picks, so then Aaron Donald is the MVP. It feels like it might kind of be that kind of year, but I, maybe we'll get together and talk about that. We, uh, Me and Limps were supposed to... The, we're supposed to talk about the Super Bowl after the uh, Packers got eliminated. And the Packers got eliminated a little bit too early, even for me, as, as everyone knows. So, um, yeah, man, that's just about it. We'll, t- we'll touch base a little bit later. I thought, frankly, listening back to this, I thought I did a great job of not getting into that whole middle thing. Like, hey, nobody wanted this to be the middle of an episode. And I don't think it is. But obviously, we have thoughts on that. But we can talk about that forever. Uh, but obviously, watching the books. The fully armed and operational battle station of the Bucks uh, destroy a couple of teams and go back to back is a little bit more encouraging. So yeah, fun stuff, man. Appreciate everybody. Night, Bucks and Six. Bucks and Six.